0: Accessibility Accelerator, the podcast featuring global influencers in accessibility, inclusion, and universal design. Here's your host, Jamie Lasner. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Accessibility Accelerator, the podcast. I am thrilled to welcome my friend Bernard Shira, who is in Nairobi, Kenya, and uh, who I had the opportunity to uh, meet in February, um, and spent a lot of time with him, quality time with him, and uh, enjoyed his company, enjoyed learning from him, and we also shared some very good laughs, and then had the opportunity of seeing him again in our Gales conference in Israel. I will start by uh, saying that I met him in what I would uh, call a paparazzi moment. Um, The Zero Project had put out a brochure And they had a picture of Bernard as one of the keynote speakers on the first day. And I was uh, coming into the hotel as he was getting into a Uber. And I said, I look forward to hearing from you tomorrow afternoon. He probably thought I was some nut on the street uh, and then realized when we talked afterwards that I wasn't uh, as crazy as people say I am anyway Bernard I am thrilled a to see you uh because we are doing this by zoom even though most people uh or all people will get it via audio um and uh, let's start with tell us a little about yourself your childhood because um from what we talked is uh you know most of our audience is from Europe the Americas um, and you've had a, a quite an interesting uh, upbringing, and uh, you were self-determined to make change. So, if you could share a little about that, or a lot about that, that would be awesome.
1: Yeah, thanks, Jamie. Uh, it's an honor to finally be on your podcast. Mm-hmm. You and I know we've been trying to make this happen uh, since February, so I'm honored to be here um a little bit about myself um i was born and raised in kenya born in mid 80s 85 to be specific to be specific um and i um i was born in the central parts of kenya in a region called neri um, it's uh, on the highlands and, and next to one of um one of the highest mountains uh, in africa for mount kenya and uh, my family, um, I was born in a big family, relatively big by today's standards. Uh, we um, uh, would be all seven in total. I do have three siblings who passed on, um, but I um, I lived in this was a village setting. So as you would imagine, your uh, rural uh, African village setting. Um but I didn't stay there too long. Um my family moved to Nairobi when I was like three, three or four years old. And mainly the, the reason for this move is basically in search of better healthcare. So I was born um uh, with a genetic condition called osteogenesis imperfecta and uh that means uh in, in layman's town it means brittle bone disease Um, and that is the primary cause of my uh, disability so I um, have used uh, crutches uh, you know since I was a child since I remember uh, for mobility yeah so my childhood was one uh, of course those earlier years I don't quite remember everything but I'm told that at the age of two weeks I was shipped back to the hospital because they wouldn't they, they couldn't uh, figure out why I was crying so much. Uh, and that's when they detected the the fracture on uh one of my on my right femur, actually on my right uh leg on the thigh. And then this um basically has um been the spot for the fractures that I've gotten from this condition and because of that i have a shortened like right limb uh, right leg yeah so a lot of my my childhood was in and out of hospitals i think when we came to nairobi um uh, you know i was able to get better you know uh health care for this and then the condition was treated surgically uh, in, uh as opposed to putting a cast on the leg every time there was a fracture so it's it's typically how these conditions uh, are managed, um, and that reduced, of course, the frequency of the fractures. But I was in and out of surgery for replacement of the uh, implants that would hold the bones together. So I, I come from a, a family where disability also was, uh, you know, a sort of a theme. Uh, so I had siblings, two other no, actually three other siblings who had a disability, mostly physical, um, and, and then myself. So, and I did have other siblings who did not have any disabilities at all. Uh, so we kind of learned to, uh, I mean, the idea of inclusion is where people with disabilities and those without can, you know, uh, coexist in a enabling and mutually uh, beneficial way. I think for me, I learned this quite early because my family was quite welcoming and supportive of all all the kids um and i and I thank my parents for you know giving that support and and being able to uh embrace a child with a disability uh which is not very easy for most parents, especially when you come you know from you know uh, a a low resourced country or situation it is one of the most challenging things for kids get born with a disability but then don't get um the support that they need yeah so that's a little bit about me and and my upbringing and and how I grew up that,
0: that is very interesting one of the things that uh you shared with me and once we got to really know each other um which still strikes me and it's something um that is unfortunately uh, different than I know that you're making a difference in Kenya um, and throughout the world on this. You told me that at a very young age and throughout your teenage years, you you were considered, people with disabilities were considered a charity case. What do you mean by that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty much um, uh, the case even today in most countries. So, what this means really is that you see um charities and and foundations and uh you know a lot of times religious groups have for the longest time been the ones supporting uh the needs of people with disabilities in many African countries and I also believe uh, in, in europe and the u s as well, and it does come from a good place because. Uh, these would be people who would look at it, you know, from a lens of uh, doing good, from a lens of uh, maybe religious responsibility. But the the the, the um, I think the sad thing about it is when everyone else in society kind of uh, takes no no responsibility of of playing a, a positive role in in responding to to the needs of those with disabilities. Uh, And and society as a whole has the responsibility to create a world that does not um, exclude people based on um, their disabilities. But unfortunately, in most cultures, disability is not perceived from a positive light. Um, There are situations where Especially in Africa, people link a disability to uh maybe a generational cars or you know something that you know people uh maybe their parents did. but I think these are now kind of outdated ways of thinking that have been dispelled you know by uh showing that people with disabilities are uh, you know, the same as everyone else and given equal opportunity, then uh they they can contribute and participate equally. So so I think what's happening now in the world, especially in developing countries, it's kind of an awakening to start looking at uh disability from a uh a very uh, different perspective.
0: Bernard what when you were in school, you uh, you said you started in a small village, then moved to Nairobi because you wanted medical care and so on. Um, by my guesstimates, you were in elementary school, starting middle school, um, sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Uh, were you in a mainstream school, or what happened between middle school and high school?
1: That's a good. That's a good question. Actually, um, so when we moved to Nairobi to the big city. Uh, and they used to call it the city in the sun, uh, the green city in the sun. Um, well, we are still in the sun, but I'm not sure we are that green. Um, <laughs> um, I was I was pretty young, so I was basically nursery school level, you know. So initially, of course, you know, my parents tried to get me into you know a nursery school that is just near our home, right? Because that's that's kind of what you want for your child, and it was a regular school, and I I didn't last a month in that school, uh, not because I, you know, I I wasn't uh, doing well. Um, in fact, I was doing extremely well. One of the conditions before they accepted me is they asked my parents that they should go and do and get an assessment from. Uh, a doctor that says I'm good enough to learn and and when I went for this assessment um you know the doctor told my parents the best thing you can do for this child is take them to the best school in the country because uh he's not only good at learning he's exceptionally you know above average and and um but in any case, this is the kind of you know Experience, um, you know, people with disabilities will get, especially we have schools feel like you're not the right fit. So we pushed and I got in, but eventually they said, okay, the child is too delicate, and if anything happens to him, we, we don't want to take the responsibility. And because of that, I had to go to a boarding school that was a special school away from my home, maybe an hour away. And uh, this was a kind of like um, a school where kids with disabilities would get board education and access to like uh, medical treatment. Uh, the name of the school is Joytown Primary School. And it essentially was only for kids with disabilities. And it had the whole, uh, from nursery school all the way to high school. So you could easily end up spending a a good chunk of your kind of foundational education there. So anyways, I went to this school and nursery school, which was, yeah, I think not regular and still is not regular today to get to take kids in boarding school when they are kindergarten but for my case we had no choice um my parents had me. so i was there for my entire prime um nursery and primary school i think you know when i look back during those days uh, as a child i didn't like going to boarding school i would have much rather you know be be at home uh but when i look back you know it was um, one of the places that shaped my independence and um, uh, exposure to other other disabilities. So I did go through uh, the nine years, but after that, I told my parents, look, I'm not going to go to another special school. And the reason I, I decided this is not because I didn't appreciate Um, that the schools were specifically catering for uh, my needs as someone who has a disability. But because I was looking ahead and I was realizing that when I reach university, there won't be a university for people with disabilities. I will have to go to a regular mainstream university and I don't want to spend half of my life in a shell And then once I go to the real world, then I'm, I'm, you know, dealing with issues that I don't know how to deal with, and I knew this would be not easy. But this is how we approach this. So for my high school, I went to uh, Aquinas High School here in Nairobi, and it is a regular, you know, uh, high school. Um, And the best thing about that school for me was, even though they were not accessible in terms of the built environment they their attitude was very accessible because they did recognize that you know i could learn even though I, I had a disability and they had accepted our kids before who had bigger accessibility needs. they were wheelchair users and they did complete their education so this is this for me was the kind of experience I was looking for because I wanted to interact with people who do not have disabilities at a very early age, so that I can navigate uh, in a challenging world for people with disabilities. And it is from there, after high school, I was uh, yeah able to go to university. Uh, I started out in public university, but then I moved to uh, you know private university because of the 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 course that I wanted to take. Um, yeah, so I, I again, uh, of course, university now was, you know, regular school, but by this time, I was very adept and I had built enough resilience to, you know, uh, navigate and, uh, and be able to, the potential that I had. So by this time, you know, I, By second year university, I had learned how to drive. I had convinced my dad to sell our family car so that he could buy a car that is automatic that I was able to drive. And and a big part of my university, I was driving myself, relieving my dad, who for, for four years during high school was picking and dropping me. Uh, I'm, but the, the the real reason is I didn't want my dad to take me for a date when I was in university.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that would be interesting, so, having dad in the, in the front seat.
1: <laughs> so it was enough motivation for me to, mm-hmm. you know, learn how to drive and, yeah, and, and, you know, start being a very dependent person.
0: One of the things that you brought up in, in, in your discussion just now, which is... Um, is the idea of perception you know we at accessibility accelerate make a big effort in having sensitivity training in having inclusion training so you 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 went to college you went to a uh, the most outstanding college in kenya um you succeeded, and then you decided to um to take, as we say here in the United States, take the bull by the horns and take control of your destiny. Um, and you created several positions, several jobs. And the one that that, that you're currently doing and that you spoke about at uh, the Zero project was Innovate Now. Um, and then when you describe Innovate Now, you say it's Africa's first assistive technology accelerator. Why? Why is it the first? Why aren't there others? And how difficult is it to run Innovate Now? And uh, can you tell us a little about Innovate Now?
1: Yeah. So, yeah, I think um, over the course of my life, uh, from my primary school days to high school, uh, somehow I've always found myself being called to a position of leadership, uh, which I've always rose to the occasion to. Uh, to feel because I feel that for um, my case, it's not been the case that I've chosen myself or decided I'm going to go after that position or after this. It, it was just that, you know, I was needed at that time. In university, I was a student leader. I was part of the student council. Um, and this kind of began my journey uh, into... Taking initiative and leading things that needed uh, you know, my, my my input so uh, after university I got into a career of uh, technology and innovation uh, and in the same university Strathmore University where I first got my job uh, uh, working as a, a research fellow uh, in the university new innovation lab um and from there I rose to leading the university's uh, incubator business incubator uh, and I, I led this you know for four and a half years before leaving uh Strathmore, um and it's during this time i i built a you know a profession as a startup enabler a startup ecosystem builder and had the opportunity to work with so many partners and organizations and um you know along the line um uh i met i met some folks from global disability innovation hub uh who had come to visit me at uh Ibis Africa which is the incubator I was leading. and this was in twenty eighteen december um And he told me about this idea um, about disability innovation and and how this was kind of a new uh, way to contribute to disability justice. Um, And it did resonate quite well, because I've always thought that, look, I need to find a way that I can contribute positively to you know, the disability community, the disability movement, but I was not so inclined to going and doing, you know, the regular stuff that, you know, has already been done. I didn't want to become a mainstream activist as a job. I wanted the job that I was doing, uh, you know, to be part of the activism, if any. So, So when they told me that, look, they wanted to to launch an accelerator that would give entrepreneurs and innovators uh, who would want to address uh, disability challenges, I thought this was it. And um, I left Strathmore University to launch Innovate Now back in 2019. And at that time, after having been in so many uh, years, Involved in the startup ecosystem here in Kenya and also in Africa, I knew that it wasn't easy to build a, you know, a new thing. Um, so when we started, we really wanted to move quickly. And I was, at that time, the idea was to show that this was ne- even uh, needed in the first place. Um, so took on the challenge and say, well, I thought it was needed and I uh I thought, you know, we can do it. Um and we found some partners, uh, like Amref who was the project initially and I was uh there as the first you know team member, uh, tried to build a team and to build a program itself. And so um that first phase of innovate now was basically give a new platform to say that it is possible to to solve the challenges that people with disabilities are facing in the area of assistive technology. And we launched our first call for innovators um, that attracted companies from all over the continent or founders, let me say founders, because these were very early stage startups. And um, some of the most successful Companies I we have now are from that first cohort, so it was a really special cohort to me. And we ended up only taking five startups or five founders, uh, who went through um our first cohort, uh, and we were trying to bring support around what they were doing. So founders, they uh, they need to get access to education on entrepreneurship. They needed um, access to mentors. You know, they needed to raise funds and then get money to to start building or continue building what they had. And this is kind of what we try to do. And you ask me why it's the first. Well, it's the first because there are many accelerators in Africa, but for many years, or maybe I would say not just years, I guess, uh, disability has never been looked at as a sector or as a space for startups. You know, it's been the, the playground for NGOs and governments. So this was a fast program uh, to kind of open the doors to entrepreneurs and, and people in technology and research to come together and, and try to build new companies. So this so, is why so the all
0: best. the work so all all the work you're doing or all the uh, companies that you're working with are geared towards assistive technology uh, known as a t as well. Um, can you share one or two of them?
1: Yes, absolutely. so so we decided we're gonna be specialized around assistive technology uh, not because it's the only issue that you know people with disabilities need, but it's so foundational so um so we've had the the wonderful opportunity to work with 45 startups and one of them that you know is you know was uh part of my first cohort is um, an entrepreneur his name is Lincoln and Lincoln um when we found him there's a there's a video That had gone viral on BBC um, of how he was turning junk into wheelchairs, (laughs) but but when you when you go into that story, you realize that this is uh, a brilliant young self-taught engineer who came uh, you know to Nairobi in search of work and ended up becoming an entrepreneur uh, that builds. Uh, motorized tricycles for people with disabilities. And his biggest inspiration was uh, an occurrence that happened where he observed um, during rush hour in Nairobi, um, he observed how a wheelchair user couldn't access public transport. Um, And, you know, it was raining and this you know, we don't have accessible public transportation. So if you're a wheelchair user or a person with disability, uh, you will get passed along, you know, because they didn't take too long to get on the vehicle. And so he, he observed this and decided uh, he's gonna build a company that makes it easy for, uh, you know, people with disabilities to move outdoors. And, basically what he does is uh, he builds um, a very robust, uh, you know, tricycle that is motorized for outdoor and indoor use. And he does this by, initially he used to recycle laptop batteries and he would collect, you know, this from junkers, from companies, and he would go and build uh, you know, take them apart, take the cells which are still active, and build a whole new battery that will be calibrated to power, you know, uh, a tri And this is uh, the company is called Lincel. They're you know they're still very active in in Nairobi. And last I talked to him, he was opening up shop in Tanzania. Uh, and basically, his passion is to see people with uh, physical disabilities move, and he wants to create jobs through his manufacturing um and this is exactly what he's doing. so we took him in, and he was uh, at that time I think he just built a couple of them, helping him looking through what would be needed for safety standards and and you know all other type of standards and uh uh and this is basically a a good example of what we like to call frugal innovation where you're innovating with very low uh you know the very few resources but you still solve a problem that people who are waiting for big budgets will never get to solve you know
0: it's also an environmentally Appropriate example in that he is recycling something and turning it into something that will um, totally change a person's life, ability to function, ability to get around, um, and ability to be independent. You and I are uh, proud members of uh, Access Israel's Global Accessibility and Inclusion Leaders Summit, and one of the things um, that uh, that drew me to you is, I mean, the, the summit itself is is mostly we talk, but we, we actually do. We accomplish, we see, we do, and so on. And you were a go-getter. I mean, right from the outset, I think I, I already started calling you uh, Don Bernard because you challenged us. You didn't hold back, sit back, or anything. So as we close our pa- podcast, um, and we have many listeners who are new to the space, challenge us with three things that we can do to make a difference um, to me, most importantly, in your life, in the lives of people with disabilities, um, whether it be investment, whether it be technology, whether it be inclusion, sensitivity. Give us your, uh, your perspective and get, and, and, and get us charging.
1: Yeah, I mean, thank you for reminding me of our Gale Summit. It was, uh, I I think, uh, I I still remember it uh, to this day and some of the crazy examples and and parallels we drew, uh, you know, around (laughs) how committed and and, and, uh, grounded we ought to be to make this happen. Um, You know, one of the things I, Uh, I truly believe in, after working with startups for a long time, and not just in the space of assistive technology, is that when you're working with entrepreneurs and founders specifically, uh, you can train them all you want, you can mentor them all you want, but at the end of the day, one of the biggest challenges they are going to face Mm -hmm. is to take their products to market. and some of them, uh, you know, will bootstrap and try to get it out there. But that is the stuff that's never scaled quickly. And the opportunity we have with uh, the disability uh, sector, or we look at this disability as, as an emerging market, is to build solutions that can scale and reach as many people as possible. And that means building businesses that are scalable. So uh, after you know, building and testing how to support entrepreneurs, uh, I believe we've come up with a model that can deliver full circle support. And one of the things I'm I'm truly convinced is, is that personally my journey uh now is uh, focused on driving capital towards founders who are building solutions for persons with disabilities so at the moment uh, one of my biggest projects is i'm trying to raise a fund that would ensure that the founders that get through our accelerator gets access to you know early stage or pre seed funding that would get them on a path to building for uh, you know for not just their their you know their country but for the world because uh disability is one of my one of my uh, i would say unifying factors for the world because it doesn't matter where you come from you know and and it makes it possible for us to build solutions that are locally relevant and and also globally relevant as well. That's one thing that can make a difference it's not the only thing but it's one thing that can really make a difference. Personally, I'm trying to uh, drive the idea that investors, we need more investors who understand this space, who come from this space. Uh, and I think my journey now is uh, I, am, I am hoping to be one of those people who can uh, you know, cross over and, and help drive that. I think the other thing that can really make a huge difference is you know to support leaders who have disabilities in whatever capacity that they are in because leadership is not about rank it's about people tra- who are trying to drive change and i think what i've seen of us in the couple of years i worked at the intersection of disability and, and everything else is that A lot of the times, these people, you know, are in so much need of uh, support to take their vision further, and and so I'm I'm really happy to be part of a program like Gales because it it supports me with a support uh, system. I can reach out to you. But how about those young leaders in university, or or entrepreneurs, uh, or even advocates uh, who are trying to move the needle. And one of the initiatives that was launched this year at the Inclusive Africa Conference, which I hope you will, you will be able to attend some time, is an award for, uh, I think we call them, uh, Inclusive Africa Icons. And what that program is doing is identifying or allowing people to, uh, when the nominations are open, uh, it's allowing uh, disabled leaders to apply, uh, you know, for this award. And uh, the very first one happened this year, and uh, a wonderful lady from South Africa, I mean from Nigeria, won uh, the award. And she's a lady who has cerebral palsy, uh, but has done so much in her country to create awareness and drive support for people with disabilities. And she, the award, I think, had some cash awarded was $2,000, I think. But I think I would want to see this, you know, grow and become more than just an award, but, you know, maybe a, a, a fellowship program that empowers these people, uh, you know, to continue driving change in wherever they come from. I think number three for me would be just more collaboration and uh, being open to work together. Uh, I think disability issues, uh, they need so much cooperation for them to succeed. Uh, For us to drive the change, especially at policy level, in many countries, it requires a stronger voice, a more uh, convincing voice. Maybe not just the voice of one Bernard, but I remember one of the things we were saying at Gale. imagine if we had the power to uh, convene or call you know, a head of state and tell them this is an important disability matter and we don't want it to be addressed, or here's how we can do it. And I think this is um, is probably one of the things that can make things uh, can help things change uh, much quickly. And I know we have, of course, you know, big organizations like the UN or like um, you know, a lot of these kind of global organizations. But I'm I'm really talking about strong grassroots voices that are backed even internationally i I think i'd really want to uh be part of creating such a thing and i think maybe that's the potential that access israel has uh, with gales um so i'm I'm really excited about about that but uh yeah this is these are the things collaboration uh rallying behind leaders big or small, who are trying to cause a change and, yeah, support for initiatives that drive capital towards the disability movement and towards persons with disabilities. You
0: know, one of the things that people forget, um, I think it was in March, the World Health Organization said that, uh, I think 16% of the world uh, has disabilities. That's number one, and that's only... 16% in the sense of people who identify to have disabilities, the number is probably higher. Um, and as you so so eloquently said, this is not a group. Uh, it's either a group you're born into. Uh, unfortunately, you join uh, at some later, and hopefully at some point maybe leave the club. Um, one of the things that uh, I immediately... Um, loved and found very much endearing about you is you talk and you do there are people who talk to talk sit on the side and so on and so forth and I, you know there were times where I was just yet I was listening don't worry I was listening but I was just looking at you going this guy has no friggin' ego where is his ego like this guy's a powerhouse he has no ego and and I find that and sort again in the interview today um, and you are uh, an absolute pleasure to call friend, um, a credit to humanity. And I know that when we work together at Gales through our affiliate access Israel, uh, we are going to make a difference because we're sitting in a room there with major companies, small companies, big companies, where all our hearts um, and our emotion is united in uh, trying to make a difference uh, in the world. So uh, Bernard, um, I could go on for hours with you because you are just that remarkable. Uh, So we will have to get you to New York or I'll have to somehow or another get to Kenya, uh, which I hope to at uh, next year's conference. Uh, To our listeners, uh, join our journey of being part of a Ripple Effect serving as a catalyst for inclusion and accessibility for all Um, share this podcast with people uh, learn more about Bernard Uh, we will share his bio and we will share his website Um, I'm telling you his he's remarkable but those are just words meet him get to know him and then come back to me and say you know what Jamie you were right he is a, a powerhouse Bernard Love you. Great seeing you, even though it's through Zoom. I wish I could jump in and give you a hug, but I don't think I could fit through those wires Uh, and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks so much.
1: Thank you, Jamie. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Accessibility Accelerator, the podcast. Be sure to follow us on all socials and join us in our effort to make the world more accessible and inclusive for all.